Well, after a long wait of more than a year of preparing to move here, I have to say it's a joy to finally be here with you. My family and I are so glad, uh, Catherine, my son Campbell, so glad God has brought us here with you. And I want you to know, church, that every time we've been among you and with you, our hearts have been encouraged and refreshed to see that Jesus Christ is exalted in your lives and in this church. We count it a privilege, a blessing from God that we now get to live our lives out with you here in Dubai for as long as the Lord would have. You know, Lord willing, I will get to preach uh, several more times, many more times in the years and months to come. I want you to know now, it will always be my aim, my goal, my heart's desire to point us to the Scriptures and to point us to Jesus. And this morning's text that we're going to look at is a wonderful place for us to do just that. So if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read the first 11 verses, Luke 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. As a framework for thinking about the text we've just read, I'm going to divide this story up this morning into five parts. The five parts. So let's begin by looking at part one. This was not a typical morning. Part one, not a typical morning. And we see that in verses one through three. 
We'll read those verses again in a second. But to set the stage, we have one morning Jesus walks down to the shoreline of a lake called Gennesaret, also known commonly as the Sea of Galilee, and he's followed by a large crowd of people. Jesus, at this point, is gaining popularity. He had healed sick people. He had cast out demons. And many were noticing that his words had power and authority, the kind of which they had never heard from any other man before. The crowds are swarming to hear Jesus give them the very word of God. Jesus climbs in to one of two boats sitting there on the shoreline. One of, uh, probably it was a fishing boat. There were two there. And he calls a man named Simon to come and man his boat for him. Simon, just take me a little way out so I can sit and teach the crowd that's gathering on the shore. So far seems somewhat like an average morning in Galilee. But that will soon change. See, Luke isn't, in these first three verses even, recording just a little piece of mundane Galilean history. No, because when we encounter Jesus, we are very far from the mundane. And Jesus is in the middle of this morning in Galilee. And these three verses create an anticipation around this man, Jesus. Every little detail is a piece of the stage that Jesus himself is purposefully fitting together and building to reveal himself. Jesus is sovereign. He orchestrates everything with a purpose. Let's read verses 1 through 3 again. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Why does Jesus look for two boats? Instead of one. Why will the fishermen need to have freshly cleaned and mended, repaired, sturdy nets? We'll get to that in a minute. But here's a detail I will point out in this beginning section. Jesus gets into Simon's boat. At the beginning, this story seems to be about Jesus and crowds and teaching. And Simon is simply just stuck in the wrong place at the wrong time and gets roped into driving Jesus around in his boat. But as the story unfolds, these crowds aren't mentioned again here. And Simon finds himself at the center of Jesus' plan. Jesus specifically chooses Simon's boat because Jesus is about to choose Simon. Every detail in this story set up 
masterfully by Jesus to just proceed as he has planned. You know, it's the same with every detail of our stories. Look at your life. Look back. What details, what circumstances, what relationships, what opportunities? What has he given you that you can now see and say, he set it all up. Praise be to him for his masterful sovereignty in my life. And think about the possibility of today. Today is the stage that God is setting to use you and your life to show the world His glory, His majesty. You know, when we talk about the sovereignty of Jesus, it's not just about defining an attribute of Him. Although, that is it. We, we do want to be truthful about God and what He's revealed. And so we do proclaim that He plans everything and He makes it come to pass. But we also want to think about how He uses that kind of power for the good of us, His people. We make note of His control and His specific ordering of our lives so that we can worship Him. And praise Him for how perfect He is. How wise He is to set our lives the way He has. Is that your response to the sovereignty of God in your life today? When things don't maybe go according to your plan, are you ready to recognize that it's God's hand Reordering your life the way He wants it to be? Would you say your heart is eager to see Him use this kind of sovereign power any way He chooses to bring glory to Himself in your life? This week, Redeemer Church, when we rise in the morning, let's turn our thoughts to anticipate how Jesus will work all things together for our good and so that when He does, we can worship Him and glorify Him. So that's the first part of the story. This was not a typical morning. Moving on to part two, a miraculous catch. A miraculous catch. Let's read verses 4 to 7 again. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Let's put ourselves in Simon's shoes for a minute. He's a, he's a pro at this. He is a professional fisherman. Likely he has been practicing this trade most of his life. Maybe even his childhood. His livelihood depended on what he caught. And recently, very recently, business has not been very good. 
They fished a whole night. They didn't even catch one fish. And we can assume that because these guys are pros, the best time to be fishing was at night. So here comes Jesus, walking up the coast, right when Simon and the others are finishing up the very tedious work of repairing and tying knots in their fishnets. Their muscles probably ached. They were probably exhausted from the work. And likely they're ready for bed. And at first, Jesus only really requests a little boat trip. It's not going to take much of an investment from Simon, will it? Just a few minutes, maybe an hour. And remember, this is probably not Simon's first encounter with Jesus either. In chapter 4, we see Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law. And so maybe that's why Simon agrees to take Jesus out of his boat at all. Or maybe it's a matter of respect. He calls him master or teacher. But that respect is tested when Jesus gives Simon another command, an additional request. Let's put out into the deep. Sail out a few kilometers into the deep water. When Jesus changes our plans, how do we respond? Let's use Simon as a case study. I'm going to put myself in Simon's shoes. Here's how I think I would have responded to this request of Jesus. I probably would have doubted his wisdom and said, Wait a minute, Jesus, you said just a little bit from the shore. You didn't say anything about going on a full fishing trip. Or I might have been proud and thought I knew better than God. What does this guy think he knows about fishing? If we didn't catch anything all night, there's no way we're going to do better than that in the middle of the day. Or sadly, my response may have just been out of self-love and self-service, being more important than obeying Jesus. And I would have responded, can't Jesus see that I'm tired and frustrated and hungry? I need to learn from Simon here. Yes, his his response, Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. It sounds a lot like, are you sure, Jesus? Are you sure this is what we should do? But in the end, he does trust Jesus. His frustration doesn't become an excuse to keep him from obeying, does it? How often do our emotions, our fatigue, our frustrations, our doubts become excuses for not obeying Jesus? So Simon casts his nets over, as Jesus says, and when he does, the nets start to tug. Hard. Harder than Simon has ever felt before. And as he struggles to hang on and pull them up, he realizes he is bringing in the biggest catch of his life. It's so big that he needs a whole other boat to come help him pull it in and carry the fish. And even that is hardly enough to carry all that they bring in. A fisherman like Simon... 
He wouldn't carry a net that breaks easily. He wouldn't fish in a boat that was just big enough to hold a moderately large catch of fish. No, he would be prepared. And so it's clear that this catch of fish was way beyond what Simon had ever anticipated. It was way beyond his imagination. In all his years fishing this lake, this was the biggest catch of all. Coming back to what we just saw about Jesus' sovereignty. Now we see. It's a good thing Jesus planned for two boats. Isn't it? It's a good thing that the disciples had freshly mended nets. Oh, and I forgot to mention. Isn't it also amazing how God orchestrated a fruitless night for these fishermen? in order to bring more than enough to them through his miraculous providence and work. All this draws our attention that Jesus and Jesus alone is behind this miracle. Look at his instruction to Simon. Let down your nets for a catch. In other words, let down your nets in order to catch. The fish were waiting. Jesus had put them there. The miracle that was about to unfold was already set. It was a foregone conclusion. The point of this story is not that Simon obeyed and Jesus rewarded him with a lot of fish. It's true that we want to be willing to obey Jesus, and Simon's example is commendable to us. But it is not true that somehow our obedience manipulates God into blessing us. As we'll see very soon, the miraculous catch of fish, it becomes an afterthought when compared to Jesus. Let me ask you, let's say you're sitting uh, on a bench one day on the street and a man walks up to you and comes to find out that you have been unemployed for over a year. You have tried and tried to find a job, haven't found anything. You're in debt, in need of money, you need to pay for food for your family, and you are discouraged. And in response, right in front of you, The man makes a briefcase appear out of thin air. Filled. 10 million dirhams. Hands it to you. Says, this is yours. Are you going to take the briefcase, shake the man's hand, and walk away? Sure, you might be skeptical. I mean... Creating something out of sin air would be hard to believe. But let's say you could press in and prove that he had actually done that. Wouldn't we be so amazed that there was somebody standing in front of us that could do the impossible, that could create something out of nothing, that we would, it would totally just slip our minds what was in this briefcase? Because after all, if, if he could do that, he could do it again. He could do anything. Hold on to that illustration for just a second. Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 
chapter 47, verses 6 through 10. Here in this passage, Ezekiel is being given a vision of a recreated temple which stands for the new creation God is ultimately going to bring about. It will be a place where God dwells again with his people. And an angel here in these verses is explaining to Ezekiel what he is seeing. So I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. And he, the angel, said to me, Ezekiel, son of man, have you seen this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the, waters, when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engedi to Enaglaim, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. One of the signs of the new creation in Ezekiel is going to be an abundance of fish. Now, if you hold that up in comparison back in Luke 5 to what Simon says that they had toiled all night and caught nothing, it again brings the spotlight onto Jesus when this miraculous catch is brought in. See, by Jesus' authority, creation is being liberated. It's coming to match up to what Ezekiel had prophesied. He's both the one who has come to remove and abolish the curse of sin and with it toil and sweat of the brow against creation when before it all works together in tandem. And he is the one to come make real the reality that Ezekiel had prophesied when creation would become new. So I have no idea if Jesus in that boat, put his hand in the water, and somehow that's what summoned the fish? Or I don't know if he audibly said, fish, come. But in light of Ezekiel 47, could it be that the fish, the creation, simply responded to its creator? That there was no audible, there was no touch or tangible summons. There was no mental communication needed that somehow the fish knew who was in the boat before even Simon did. The fabric of creation is so locked in and intertwined with the Creator that where the Maker goes, what is made by Him follows. Jesus is the most important part of this story. Not the fish. He is not merely a teacher of crowds. He is the creator 
of the world. He is the commander of the universe. He is the Lord over the oceans. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth. He created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm. He stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. He shut in the sea with doors. When it burst forth from the womb and prescribed limits for it and sets bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Jesus entered into the springs of the sea and walked in the recesses of the deep. He gathers the waters of the seas as a heap. He puts the deeps in the storehouses. Jesus is the living God. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He is a great God. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. that's exactly what Simon does. Part three, a scary realization. In verse eight, Simon witnesses the catch and he falls down at Jesus' knees and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. If you're curious about Simon's response, Luke provides an explanation in verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. These men realized that what had just happened is only possible if the creator of the world is standing in their boat. And if Jesus is the creator, Jesus must be God. And if Jesus is God, God is in their boat. And God is perfect. And God, as we've already proclaimed this morning, is holy. And if Jesus is holy, Simon is in trouble. Simon's cry in it, we hear Isaiah's cry from chapter 6 that we read earlier as he stood before the throne of God Almighty and saw his glory. Woe is me, for I am lost. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the very Lord of hosts. Jesus came to show Himself to Simon, His power, His might, His holiness. And the sight of Jesus is far too much for Simon. Notice Simon doesn't instantly, after the fish come in, just say, Oh, thank you, Jesus. This means so much to me. You don't know how discouraged I was that I hadn't caught anything the night before. But this is a lot of money for these guys. I guess he could have thanked Jesus. But when Simon sees the miracle, he sees right past the miracle to what we all need to see this morning. There's something about us, about every one of us, that means we cannot stand before God. And that something is sin. To stand before a holy God in our sinful nature, with that not taken care of, is a death sentence, and Simon knew it. Jesus can see into our hearts There's nothing inside of us that can make us clean enough or pure enough to stand face to face with God. Nothing. So the best remedy that Simon can think of is to say, get away! Get away from me, Jesus! But distance is not a solution. It doesn't remove our guilt. It doesn't remove our sin. It only delays the judgment that we deserve. Friend, if you hear and you don't think your problem your sin is a problem between you and God, then you don't know the God of the Bible. And you haven't met Jesus. When you come into the presence of the perfect God, the only way to respond is to become painfully aware of our own rebellion against Him and the punishment we deserve. As one author wrote, the sight of divine greatness and holiness makes us feel our own littleness and sinfulness. Like Israel Beneath Mount Sinai, the words of Simon's heart are, Do not have God speak with us, or we will die. A day is coming when all our knees will be on the ground, in front of Jesus. And from all of our mouths will come the confession that Jesus is Lord. If you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, If you walk out this door and continue your life in rebellion against God and His right authority over you, if you commit yourself to active rebellion and hatred of His ways and of His Word and of His Son, then the day is coming when you won't be able to get distance between you and God. You will not be able to delay God's judgment, which is righteous 
You will not be able to delay it coming against you for your sin against Him. Friend, you do not want to kneel before a holy God without a solution for your sin and without protection from that kind of God, awesome, majestic, righteous wrath that will fall on you. Redeemer Church, praise God. We have found a remedy. We have found the solution for this problem of our sin. And we have found it in Jesus Christ. What can we as Christians learn from Simon's reaction? Let's remember that our discipleship to Jesus began from a place of desperation and destitution, just like Simon. And that is where Jesus found us. And that is where Jesus appeared to us. And that is where Jesus poured out His grace and His mercy. And thank God, we're not still there. But He has moved us into life with Him. So our humble service to Christ now will be helped by a regular confrontation of that which is opposed to God, sin that remains in our life. It will be helped by conviction over that sin, sorrow over that sin, confession of that sin. So it might be a good idea for us this week that we, when we confess, that we do confess, and that when we confess to God, we do it out loud. Maybe even do it from our knees. And do it with one another. Confessing our sin as we have covenanted to get together to do. Confessing our sin to one another. Not so that we can be a people who kind of walk around with this huge burden on our back and we wallow in our sin and we feel the guilt of it all the time. No, that's not the point of confession. That's not the point. The point is about assuming a humble position and posture from which we get the clearest view of our greatest hope, Jesus Christ. And that is something Simon is about to discover. Part four, a comforting commission. A comforting commission. Before we see Jesus' response, let's pause together and feel the tension of this moment. Jesus has yet to answer Simon. It's the silence in the courtroom as everyone waits with bated breath to hear the judge's verdict against the guilty. Feel the sickness in Simon's stomach and the overwhelming weight of the situation that may even bring him to the point of collapsing and passing out altogether. His heart is pounding. His muscles tensed up, anticipating the judgment of a holy, righteous God. 
His mind racing, looking any way out of this. But there is no way. The honest yet sinking awareness in his heart that is what is likely about to happen to him is exactly what he deserves. Is your sin more than you can bear this morning? Do you struggle to be free from its weight but find no relief? Has God been good to you and loving to you to show you this picture of His perfection and holiness and show you that you are way away from Him because of your sin? Has He loved you in that way and now your sinful heart is exposed in front of Him? Condemned. Friend, if that's you, please pay very close attention to Jesus' next words. Because these four words can change your eternity. Jesus says, Do not be afraid. And in those words, rests the hope of all mankind. Jesus ignores Simon's fearful request and gives a command to him of comfort, not of condemnation. Rather than depart and do what Simon screamed for him to do, Jesus stays with Simon. He stays there. He comes near to him. Rather than strike him down, Jesus instead will walk a road to Calvary and offer himself to be stricken, smitten by God and afflicted with the force of God's wrath. To provide hope to us, Jesus was hanged for us. To lift us up from our knees, Christ was lifted up as an atonement, a substitute, a sacrifice, taking the place of our sin. To give us life, Jesus took death. So this is our third picture of Jesus, isn't it? Sovereign, creator, and now savior. If you're here today and you're visiting, we are so glad you're here. We're thankful to you for coming and being a part, seeing what we mean to be as a church, seeing who this Jesus is. If you hear nothing else in what else I say, please pay attention now. I don't want you to miss Jesus is the Savior. There is a way out for all of us. There is a remedy for our sin. There is a solution for our guilt. And it is in acknowledging Jesus has died to pay it all and Jesus has risen from the grave to defeat all the chains of sin, all the burdens of sin, all the curse of sin that you and I were born with and have felt every day of our life. Jesus did everything necessary to remove it all. He came so that we could be saved. All we must do is acknowledge that we are sinners. 
turn from the sin that is rebellion against God. Thank God. Confess our sin that required His substitutionary sacrifice for us on the cross. Believe that that was enough to pay the penalty for us. And rest in faith in Christ, the risen Savior and King. That's it. I hope you will know that today if you don't already. Don't be afraid, dear Christian, when you fall into temptation. Here Jesus stands. Do not be afraid. He is ready to forgive you. His love drives out our fear. Don't be afraid, brothers and sisters, when the world is harder and heavier than you can bear. Cast your cares on Jesus and he will bear them. He has overcome the world. All our fears can be swept away in this tidal wave of Jesus' love and mercy and tender care to us that we hear in his words. This week, when the evil one tempts you to despair, to, to tell you that you are guilty, to tell you that wrongly, to lie to you and say you're condemned and to try to pull your focus off Jesus, hear Christ saying to you, do not be afraid. I am with you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I am the Lord, your God. What a comfort to us, dear Christian. So Jesus releases Simon from this fear and sets him to a new task. Simon is saved from fear in order to fearlessly now serve God. Jesus' words to Simon recall words found in Jeremiah 16.16, which you can turn to later, read later in this week. There, Jeremiah prophesies against the people of Israel for their covenant disobedience against God. And for their sin, God promises to send the nation into exile as punishment. But the exile is not going to last forever, Jeremiah says. Because days are coming when God will bring the people back to their land just as he did in the Exodus. The way the people will be brought back, Jeremiah says, will be through the means that God sends, through fishers who will fish for men and hunters who will hunt for them. So when Jesus gives this new commission and says that they will be going out and catching men, it's the cue that the days of promise Jeremiah had prophesied had come. Jesus identifies himself as the one who's going to send out the disciples as these fishers. He is the one who will fulfill the promise in Jeremiah 16, 16. And as we read through into the book of Acts, we see the apostles doing just that, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, thousands being saved. And on this confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church is built. So church, here is our commission from our Lord Jesus. You know, in Isaiah 6 that we read earlier, Isaiah couldn't right away, when he's confronted with the glory of God, say, oh, here am I, send me. No, it requires the purification of that hot coal, the removal of the impurity from Isaiah, the glory of the Lord coming and saying, I will remove 
what makes you unclean. And I will give you new lips and a new heart. And then Isaiah fearlessly says, if you're calling, Lord, send me. The same here with Simon. The same with us. We're not fishers because Jesus saw some holiness or goodness in us apart from Him. We aren't called to be evangelists because some of us have a particular skill set in that area. No, we set ourselves to this work, to this commission God has given us to seek the lost and tell them the saving news of Jesus because it's what Jesus has given us to do. And Think that we were the the people condemned on the floor and now he raises us and says, follow me and here's a job for you. What a privilege for us to accept that. What a privilege to partake in that and participate in that. And what an encouragement to see these nets and boats full of fish, isn't it? Jesus can do the same with people, you know. Go out, church. Fish with the gospel. In love, go out seeking the lost, telling them of the Savior, Jesus. And pray that this place would be full to overflowing, bursting at our doors with men and women that Jesus has gathered and chosen. Part five. Part five. An appropriate response. How do Simon and James and John respond to Jesus' comfort and his commission? Let's read verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Remember the 10 million dirhams briefcase? Imagine being so caught up with the man who made it appear that you've completely forgot about the briefcase. Just imagine it. Try to imagine it. It's hard to imagine. That you left it sitting there as you walked and followed the man who gave it to you. Trying to find out more about who that guy is. How can I be close to that guy? He made something out of nothing. What else can he do? Simon was a fisherman, now he's a follower. He was fearful at Jesus' feet, now he's following Jesus' steps. What would have meant the world to these fishermen moments ago, this huge catch of fish, now they leave it on the shore and they walk away. What is your everything? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it financial security? Is it a relationship? Is it being loved by someone else? Jesus is better. Jesus is infinitely better and worth infinitely more than those everythings. The beautiful irony of Luke chapter 5, verse 11. And for us who have found in Christ 
everything, is that when we surrender to Jesus and his authority, we instantly gain more than we could ever ask for or imagine. Instantly. That's because Jesus laid down his life to give us something we could never have ourselves, and that is eternal life with him. And so now, gladly, we can lay our our lives down because we want this life that only Jesus can give us. So, with joy, with joy, with gladness, without reservation, without giving a second thought to it, without wishing for something else, without regretting it, let's leave everything. Let's turn our back on everything else. Lay them down. Let's follow Jesus. He is worth whole life worship. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all go home and put everything out on the street, sell it all, and walk away from our responsibilities. God has given those things to you. He's given those things to me. He intends for us to manage those things well for his glory, for his honor. Uh, and, and we ought to be about that every week and praying that God would help us to do that with wisdom. We also should not go the other direction, the other extreme, and say, what, what these disciples are doing is just extreme devotion. I mean, this is a level of sacrifice that few attain. No. As if somehow it's impossible for ordinary Christians like us to, to follow their example, to follow Jesus this way. What the disciples did was not radical. I want to say that again. What the disciples did was not radical. Now sure, from a world's perspective, it looks really radical. Leave everything you know, follow a guy that's just showed up a few days ago, done some cool things, but... No, I, I know that it appears that way to certain eyes. But I'm telling you the truth of the text and what God is prevent, presenting us with is the reality that this is normal. This is what happens when you are gripped with the Almighty God. This is what happens when you come face to face with Jesus Christ. You see Him as everything and everything else sort of fades away in the periphery. Think about it. After all these men had seen that day, what other way are they going to spend the rest of their life? What would you suggest they do? Should they bring in the fish, say, thanks Jesus, wave goodbye and watch this guy walk off? Every time they set their foot in that boat again, they're going to look at the place where the creator of the world set his feet. Every time they pick up their nets, they're going to imagine 
the feeling of the weight of the miracle that was in their hands, the, the catch that the sovereign Lord had orchestrated in those very nets. Every time they felt sting and despair and discouragement over their own hearts, their own sin, their own fears they can't be rid of, are they not going to regret not following the one who said, do not be afraid? These men had encountered the sovereign, the creator, the savior, Jesus. Whole life worship is the only response they could give. Just as the fish naturally swarmed at the call and presence of their creator, so now these fishermen cannot help but follow the one who had made them and saved them. Like the disciples, we have encountered Jesus in his word this morning. We are made to follow him. And there's no life outside of that. Will you walk out the door ignoring Jesus? Or will you surrender in faith and follow him? Redeemer, what a view of Jesus we've had this morning in his word. I pray we will be captured and captivated with Jesus Christ such that the world we walk out into has no more attraction for us. That we see sin's chains lying behind us, broken by the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. We see the world's attractions totally eclipsed by the beauty and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the world's promises will be emptied out in front of us, proved totally untrue before Jesus Christ who is altogether the truth. The supposed power that can so easily intimidate us of rulers and governments, I pray it will be as nothing to us because the sovereign creator, Jesus, has revealed himself to us. As those chosen by him, as those convinced of our own sin, as those confessing His blood as the only way to be made spotless, as those of us, Redeemer Church of Dubai, those who call on His name as faith, comforted by His love, commissioned to carry His gospel, let us now humbly commit our lives to follow wherever our Lord Jesus leads us. Let's pray. Christ, you are all we have. You are everything. You are sovereign. You are creator. You are savior. You are worthy. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain to receive power and wisdom and honor, and glory, and blessing. Lord, that is the cry of response from our hearts. 
We pray that you would equip us to leave everything behind in whole life worship to you this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.